Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. It's a good question, and we're going to tackle questions like that over the next few weeks as we launch into a sermon series about some of these statements that Jesus made that on the surface were just hard to reconcile, uh, but we understand that there is always a deeper meaning, and uh, sometimes he's just trying to get our attention. And, um, you know, I never... I never want to presume to speak for Jesus because he is more than capable of speaking for himself. And I think every time I presume to speak for him, he always goes, <sighs> but, but I, I did one day, I went out on a limb earlier in my pastoral career. I was at a church, and, and, it, and it has to do with our passage today. It's a church I served before this one. I was sitting in the san- little sanctuary, and um, a young woman came in, and she said, is the pastor here? And I looked around, and I said, well, I'm as close as, as you're going to get today. And she said, do you have a minute? Can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And she said, I have one question. Do you marry people who aren't members of this church? And I said, sure, we can do that. And then she told me a story. She was 17 years old, and I think her boyfriend at the time was 17. He might have been 18. It's been, a, it's been a while, and the details are still a little sketchy, but that was the gist of it. And they let, they let their passions get away for them, from them, and they made a baby. This was some years prior. That was probably five or six years before she came to see me. So the families panicked, and they had them get married, and so they got married. And then the boyfriend, he panicked, who then was the dad, the groom for a day or two, panicked, and he ran away. But he came back, and long story short, they managed to arrange a divorce, and they were immediately divorced after being married. So if you fast forward five or six years, might have been seven years, and her little girl was then six or seven years old, she met a man then as a grown-up woman. She met this man who loved her very much and loved her daughter very much, and they wanted to get married. But she had come from a small church in a denomination that had a very, very narrow and rigid view on divorce and remarriage. And her father was a deacon in that church. And he supported the church's position that she could not remarry. But she just didn't understand how that could be. So she happened to drive by our church one day. Maybe she had heard about those crazy Methodists that just go along with everything. I don't know. But, but, she, but she stopped in and she told me the story. And she said, would, would you consider doing my wedding? And I said, well, you know what? Let me ask you a question. And this is where I started speaking for Jesus and I started getting nervous. But I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think, do you think that Jesus would really want your little girl to grow up and never have a father figure in her life? And do you think that Jesus would want you to live the rest of your life without love because of a mistake that you made 
a long time ago that lots of people have made. And it can't be undone. But I don't think Jesus wants the rest of your life to suffer from that. That's why they call it grace. So I said, yes, I would be honored to do your wedding. And I did. And her father refused at first to come at all. He would not walk her down the aisle. But to his credit, uh, as we were standing up there and as I was performing the ceremony, I, I saw him slip into the back of the church and he stayed long enough for his daughter to see him. And then he left. And I thought, well, you know, that's a, that's a step and that's good. And speaking for Jesus is, is always a dangerous thing. Um, but he had some things to say about sex and about divorce. And and it's a great way to start. It's certainly an interesting way to start this sermon series as we talk about these, this crazy stuff that Jesus said. And I want to start with this statement, and then we'll work out of there. Sex, yes, we can say sex in church. It's okay. By the way, sex was God's idea. He invented it, and it doesn't embarrass him for us to talk about it. Sex can reap a harvest of blessing. Or it can leave a debris field of despair. It all depends on whose rules we follow. And embedded in what I'm about to read from the scriptures, I believe, is Jesus' attitude toward this. Um, so, with that said, I want to read from Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Later in Matthew, Jesus would expand on his teachings about uh, divorce in particular. I want to focus on uh, the sex part at the beginning, and then we'll talk a little bit about divorce as well. Uh, but, but lest anyone think that they're at a position in life where none of this stuff matters to them, it does. You know it does. And, and we're, going to, we're going to talk frankly about it this morning, and we're going to find good news and hope and grace. Here are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife unless for marital, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Yikes. Let's talk about it. But first, let's pray. Almighty God, this is, this is tough. But we know that Jesus came to bring new life. And we know that everything he did and said was all a part of his overarching mission to renew creation. So give us ears to hear, O Lord. Give us the boldness of your spirit that we might, on this day of Pentecost, hear this in a language that we understand, and that we might find truth for our living today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it's interesting that this, this whole section begins 
uh, with this. Back a few verses before this, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so, there are a couple of loopholes here, and one is that, well, Jesus came so that we don't have to follow the law anymore, because there's grace, and now it's, you know, we don't have to worry about all that stuff. Well, no, actually we do, because Jesus came to, to actually fulfill the law, uh, and, and, and let me put it this way, the law itself always addresses actions. Jesus addresses attitudes. Jesus goes deeper than the presenting symptoms that the law was designed to correct. Don't commit adultery. Okay, that's, that's a good law. That's a good command because nothing good ever comes from it. But Jesus comes in and says, now let's go deeper and let's look at the attitudes behind it. Let's, let's take that for a minute, the part about the eye and the hand. If your eye causes you to look at someone in a way that you know you shouldn't, then poke it out. And if your hand causes you to do something that you know you shouldn't, that your faulty eye has led you into, then chop it off. Now, we all know that if we were serious and thought that we should take Jesus absolutely literally on this, then we'd all look like Captain Hook with an eye patch. But, because it's just true. You know, this trips up everybody. But, but I want to I quickly... I want to quickly come up with uh, uh, a phrase that I heard in seminary uh, that I'd never heard before, Semitic hyperbole. And it's, it's one of those great seminary words. They can't charge you $25,000 a year to go to seminary and not teach you some big words. So Semitic hyperbole, but what it simply means is Jesus, out of who he was and the culture he came from, was one to exaggerate to make a point. And he did it over and over again, you know, from the, from the man who gave us, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. He gives us this. If your eye, die, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So what is, what's going on with this? And I think it, I think we have to look at, first of all, what Jesus was saying about what, what this does and Adultery, lustful thought, leads to the act of adultery, which was very abusive of women. We'll talk more specifically about that in a minute. And, and, and what divorce, in particular, the, the, the position that that could leave women in, in that culture, it could leave them very vulnerable. And so it was really important not to start that ball rolling. But I think even beyond that, Jesus was, Jesus was introducing an entirely new role and status for women when he came along. Women were, I mean, I know this is harsh, but it's just the way it was in that culture. Women were possessions. They were possessed by men. And men could do whatever they wanted. And women were not treated with, with a great deal of respect. But now in Jesus' kingdom, and as he invited women to take leadership roles in the kingdom, women were being elevated. And I think Jesus was, was thinking about, you know, don't, don't be looking at women that way because it does violence to them because of what you're thinking about them. It's a disservice to God, and ultimately it's going to hurt somebody else if you follow through with it. So there were all sorts of reasons, I believe, why Jesus wanted us to understand what the impetus for this is. But 
I don't know. I, I, I love this. You know, Jesus was one who read the Scriptures. And I love this from Proverbs. Maybe he was thinking about this as well. Proverbs 6, 27. This is from the message because I like the way it says it best. Can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? That's the, it's just Scripture right there. And I think that had to be swirling around in Jesus' mind as, as he said this. Sexual impulses are very powerful. And, and that, that feeling that we get whenever those impulses come along, again, that was designed by God. It was his idea for, and I, talked to a, I was talking to a couple about this just the other day that I'm doing premarital counseling with. It's, it's incredible how two relatively attractive people can be in room with 25 other relatively attractive people and zero in on each other and go, you, and the other one goes, you, and suddenly their heart starts beating and their palms start sweating and their mouth gets dry and their knees get weak and it's, it's remarkable what happens, these impulses, this, if you will, these impulses that, that are called lust in the wrong context. They're designed by God to first draw us together and then to get us together physically so that we can, we can make more people, but also, and I think even more so than just procreating, uh, sex is a beautiful gift that heightens intimacy. And it keeps intimacy alive in, in, in long-standing relationships, which is, God all, which is what God always wanted uh, for marriage. And so it's powerful. When those endorphins start getting pumped into our bloodstream and whatever other chemicals are up there, it's powerful stuff. And if it's used in the wrong context, it always leads to trouble. And sometimes once that train leaves the station, it's really hard it's really hard to get the brakes on and get it stopped. And so Jesus is saying, don't even go there. And, you know, in our culture today, we go there all the time. We're encouraged to go there all the time. I mean, advertisements for everything involve sexual images that are, that are designed to create those impulses, maybe not quite as dramatically as, as pornography, which, which is another uh, of, the, of the great scourges and, and, this, and sexual immorality, if we broaden this out to just lustful thoughts uh, so that we don't commit adultery. But, but Jesus broadens it out later to talk about sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, uh, is, is perhaps, perhaps pornography is, is the greatest source of sexual immorality today. But, but softcore porn and, and even just images that we see in advertising, all designed to do that. And, and so the culture tacitly says, it's okay. It's okay. Come on. That's, that's, that's part of being a human being. You know, so we're going to sell this product with, with a man or a woman in a skimpy bathing suit with oil slathered all over them or whatever the case may be. It's difficult. It's difficult to, to stay away from. But it's also very powerful, and it gets out of control very easily. And Jesus wants to underscore that for us because he loves us and wants what's best for us. And sex outside of the context of the committed marriage relationship is never going to be what's best for us. And that takes us to the next section, which can be very difficult to interpret because 
At face value, it looks like Jesus is taking a really hardline stance on divorce, even more rigid than, than Moses did in, in the writings from the Old Testament and that some of the rabbinic teachers were teaching. You know, Jesus makes it pretty clear. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her, uh, well, he says it's been said, anyone divorces his wife, give her a certificate of divorce. Hold that thought. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and that was serious business. So what was going on, it, it was very easy for men, as I mentioned before. Men had the upper hand in everything. It was a very patriarchal society, and a man could divorce his wife for a lot of different reasons. And, and if that happened then, the woman could be placed in a very vulnerable position because she suddenly, because she's been divorced, is damaged goods. And maybe no one else wants to marry her. And again, in that culture, and I know it's hard for us to hear, but in that culture, it was really important for a woman to be married. She needed it to survive. Because, and, and more than that, even, it could be that after a divorce, the family might turn their back on her. And if she doesn't have family or a husband to turn to, it could have been tough in that culture. And Jesus thought it was dreadfully unfair for a man to be able to just give his wife a certificate of divorce and bada-bing, bada-boom, you know, he can move on to somebody else, and she's stuck. And so Jesus is, is turning the heat up on this whole thing and saying, no, sir. No, sir, if, unless, unless there was immorality involved, adultery involved, then you've just made her an adulteress, and that means she's not going to be able to get along in the world, and we're not going to have that. He was trying to protect, I believe, women who could easily find themselves in a vulnerable situation. Now, let's, use, let's, let's see how he felt about protecting women in other places. If, if you think I'm making all this up, I, I thought this was an interesting connection. But if you think about it, the woman who was caught in adultery, remember the story about the woman who was actually caught in adultery and brought to Jesus and, and the, the religious leaders and some of the other men were all standing there with their rocks and they're getting ready to kill her. And Jesus says, and, and, and these are my words, not his, why have you singled this out? Why have you singled this one sin out? So if you're without sin, if you haven't sinned at all, then have at it. Kill her. And of course, the men had at least enough integrity to drop their walks and leave because they knew uh, that they all had sinned. And then he turned to the woman and said, where are your accusers? And then he said, look, Look, this is not the end of the world. Go, go choose a better path. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. Just choose a better path. He protected her. He stood between harm and her. Whenever clearly as a Jewish man and a rabbi, he could have just stood back and said, have at it. But he was changing things for women. The woman at the well. The woman at the well in the, the, in the story about the Samaritan woman at the well in the beginning of John's gospel. She'd been married five times. Now, there are no details. Maybe every husband died. We don't know. We know she'd been married five times and was living with a man. Now, that would be enough, you would think, for some prominent rabbi to go, oh, lady, you need to get it together. But what Jesus did was talk to her, sit with her, listen to her story, 
And whatever he finally said to her, she went back to the village and said, I just met the Messiah. You've got to come and see this guy. And they did. And she was transformed. He put her on a different path because he didn't want to see her banished from her community, which she had been. That's why she was there getting water in the middle of the day, famously, and not in the early morning cool or the, or the, or the late evening cool because she didn't want to be around the other people in the village because they were probably all over her because of her track record in relationships. But Jesus was changing things and trying to make things better for women and equal, level the playing field a little bit. Divorce is not God's preference, but neither is the despair of an unreconcilable marriage. It's not an unpardonable sin. It's a fact of life. And, so, and you know people and I know people who have gotten divorces, even with children, and they have managed to, to even remain friends, at least to the point where they could celebrate family things together and they could be civil to each other and they could show the children that there can be reconciliation even whenever there's been difficulty. That doesn't always turn out that way, and we know that. But sometimes it does. But it's not an unpardonable sin. And Jesus, I believe, wants us to make the most of the rest of our life. Not taking it, not being cavalier about it. We should never be cavalier about sexual impulses or our marriages. But you know, this is Pentecost. And so the good news is we're celebrating the very fact that we are not left to deal with any of this stuff on our own. You know, when, when, we, when we are trying to stand up against the sexual impulses that are God-given, and we're trying to stand against them and make sure that we don't participate in them or let them get out of control in a context apart from what God would approve of, we don't stand alone. Did you know the Holy Spirit stands with us? The same Holy Spirit that came and invaded that upper room and anointed those disciples with tongues of fire and allowed them to come out and speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to people of all different tongues and, and nations, that same Holy Spirit will stand with us and say, okay, I've got you. I can give you a resource beyond yourself in this moment so that you can stand firm. And, and whenever, whenever you're standing with a spouse and, and things are difficult and, and, and you don't know how you're going to move forward and maybe you're not going to move forward, remember that the Holy Spirit stands with you and is able to give you the power to be the reconciler, the peacemaker, as Jesus would call it. And maybe if the marriage can't continue, maybe, maybe the relationship can be salvaged in some way that it doesn't become toxic. And, and I don't know, that's a tall order sometimes. I understand that because people can be really bad. But Jesus stands with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This beautiful anthem the choir just sang, the Spirit of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit stands there and mediates the very presence of Christ in these moments so that we don't have to stand alone. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want a woman who was no more guilty than the man to die because she made a mistake. What a bigger mistake that would be. Jesus didn't want a woman who had a difficult time with relationships to spend the rest of her life isolated from her community. 
Jesus didn't want a little girl to grow up without a father figure and a young woman to never have love again. That's what, that's what I believe. And I believe that's what is at the very heart of this as Jesus tries to describe attitudes where the law describes actions. He's getting at the attitudes underneath. It's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is here. We don't have to do this on our own. Whenever, whenever Jesus stood or reclined, I guess, as it were, with his disciples in another upper room on the night that he was killed, he described for them, eat this bread, drink this cup. This is my very presence that will be with you for now and forevermore. This is what we celebrate at the table. And I pray that whatever is troubling you and what, whatever it is that's leaving you feeling vulnerable and weak, remember, the Holy Spirit will meet you in that bread and that cup and can allow you to return to your seat empowered, encouraged, and strengthened for what comes next. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for Jesus, for grace. Thank you, O oh God, for forgiveness, for new life, even in the face of great difficulty. Lord, help us have the courage to just, to just come to grips with where the weaknesses are in our own life so that we can allow your Holy Spirit to help us keep our grip when we're about to lose it and move forward according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.